Here we go. We're on uh, page two. Yeah. Uh, right. How do we get there so fast? That's right. Um, okay. So this each masechta is different, and it has a different uh, flavor to it. It's just like ice cream. You know, ice cream tastes delicious, and each flavor is unique, and uh, each masechta has its own unique uh, aspects to it. Uh, the one thing about sota that has to occur there's only one mitzvah in the Torah that's supernatural, that relies on miracles. In other words, every mitzvah is very practical. And, you know, you put the tzitzis on, you put the talis on, you return the lost object, uh, this and that. But this is the only mitzvah that you need a miracle. You know, that if the, if the woman was faithful and she didn't sin, she gets rewarded. And uh, things, uh, she had trouble giving birth or the kids weren't so healthy, now they'll be healthy and it'd be miraculous and Hashem wants them to, to have an b- even better marriage than until now. And if she had sinned, then miraculously this, uh, it's going to turn into poison and she's going to blow up. And uh, it's just, it relies on a total miracle. Uh, you don't have, we, we're really not into miracles like that, uh, total miracles. Uh, Sota is the only, only mitzvah, regular process that has this like total miracle about it. And so that, that, that's unique. Um, at some time in the Bayesheni, it went lost. Uh, they stopped doing Sota. The, 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 the significance was that uh, either it was happening too often uh, there is a concept that the, the, uh, it's only if basically the husbands were loyal that they could expect the waters to test their wife, meaning that basically society was moral and uh, then the occasional su- suspect, you could find out if somebody made a mistake. Uh, we had before that uh, typically the Soto was a person who was drinking and used bad judgment. But uh, once the, uh, the uh, society as a whole, uh, the husbands weren't particularly loyal, so they, then it wouldn't work for the wives either. And then the people would say the soda water didn't work, but really it was because they themselves, it was the husbands were not, not loyal, so of course they, it wouldn't test their wives. And so it, it fell out of disuse at some point. Don't have an exact time frame of when that happened. Okay. Um, we... Um, why is what's it connected to Nazar? Well, the it, actually the connection is somewhat obvious because the uh, Gemara says that if somebody saw what happened to Sota, so first of all the lesson is don't say that this person was bad and evil and wicked and it um, that happened but it would never happen to me because I'm a good guy I would never do such a thing, but uh, no the what happened was the uh, people start drinking and sometimes they make bad judgment. And uh, really, this could happen to anybody. And so, therefore, Nazar is a response to Sota. And so, the, the Torah tells us that if a person, after they see what happens, and they realize that maybe this could happen to them, or they need a boost to strengthen themselves to make sure they don't fall into temptation, so they would become a Nazar, male or female, uh, would become a Nazar. And that's why Nazar and Sota are connected. So then the question is, shouldn't Sota be first? Right? And, uh, I'm sorry, right? In other words, if somebody sees the sota, then be... Well, Nazar was very similar to Nadorim. It was very similar to a type of vow, and that's why that was learned there. It's fairly fascinating, not fascinating, the, I don't know what the word is. We're in the, the uh, part of the Talmud that deals with women's laws, with Seder Nashim. 
And first we learned about divorce and sota before we learned about a good marriage, so to speak. <laughs> you would think we learned about marriage. and So there's always the idea that before a person gets involved in marriage, they should learn how a marriage can become undone. You know, and so that comes first. First you see what could how a marriage comes undone, and then you go about creating a strong marriage, you know, and so the, these mesectas actually, be, before we get to Kedushin, we're going to learn about Sota, and we'll learn about Gittin, it's just interesting that way. Okay, let's begin. Um, the, there are the technical parts of Sota, not every woman uh, can be brought to drink. Um, involved in Sota is the erasing of Hashem's name, which is normally a sin. Normally you're not allowed to erase Hashem's name, uh, and uh, that's uh, one of the subjects that keeps coming up, is that sometimes the positive command pushes away a negative. In this case, it'll be the command to save the marriage pushes away the negative of erasing Hashem's name. But you can't do that lightly, and you can only do it under certain circumstances, and so we're going to go through how you set up a sota. So there's, um, uh, the, there's a, there are certain technical aspects of the sota. So the first part is the warning, and that's what we're going to begin with. Actually, in every penalty in the Torah, pretty much, there has to be a warning. There always has to be a warning. That's the strong Torah concept, and usually the warning has to be in front of witnesses, uh, and, uh, and sometimes there's a debate about how specific the warning has to be. But Sota has its own unique warning, and this warning is called Makana, Kina. That's the warning that the husband has to give to the wife. He can't wake up one day and say, we're going for a drink in the temple. You know, we're gonna, let's go have some soda water. You know, it's, it has to be a, a, a warning. And usually there's a reason uh, you know, that a husband would say to this, the wife, you know, don't be alone with this guy. Something something's unusual is going on here and my suspicions are aroused and we don't, it, the marriage is uncomfortable and you have to be extra careful not to be alone with this fellow. Otherwise we might uh, um, not be able to live together in, in good faith unless I know what's going on or unless I'm sure that you've stayed loyal to me. That's kind of the, the conversation. So uh, this warning, what's the minimum needed? Yes? Mm-hmm. You said is warning. Isn't that Hasra? So the Gemara is going to talk about it a little bit. Why the, 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 this word, usually the word is Hasra. Uh, that is the usual word. Uh, but over here, um, I think that Rashi's uh, bothered by this question. Oh, back to the real Rashi. We could actually say Rashi. Um, look at the top Rashi. W- why do we use the word hamakana le'ishta, warning? As Richard noted, there's a different word. I believe that's what's bothering Rashi. So he says, lishna de the, the Mishnah picked the language of the Pasuk in the Torah that it uses, it says, Vikinas Ishto. That's, that's the actual word of the Pasuk. So the first part of it is, in order to trigger the laws of Sota, the very first thing is, there had to have been a warning to the wife not to be alone uh, in private with this uh, other man. That's the, that's the beginning of the Sota process. Uh, without that warning, a woman would not become a Sota. So Hamakana Ishta, that's called the kinna. So then the question is, what's the minimum requirements for that? So of course we're going to see two opinions. <laughs> what would a Gemara be without two opinions? You know, so. Maybe, but, maybe just to, to, um, uh, to address Richard's question, Hamakana 
is a kind of warning to the extent that it's one who expresses jealousy. Meaning he can be jealous, but unless he expresses it, he's, you know, he's not uh, forewarned. Okay, that's a good point. Richard is asking, why not the specific Russian of Hasra? One, you know, one who, you know, one who warns his wife. Yeah. So uh, there is another good point here too, which I think which, uh, that Rav Avram is, is bringing up very well, uh, which is that is usually if there's somebody about to do a sin, an avera, there's a mitzvah to warn them. You know, you really shouldn't do this. Please don't do this. You know, you know the Torah says if you do this, you know things could, you know, you'll get in trouble. Uh, well, what the daylights out of you? You know, don't do this, right? Or the so there's a there's a normally there's a concept of I wouldn't say is the mitzvah to warn somebody, but there seems to be somebody supposed to warn them. You know, you don't want him to do it, and so you should at least give him the opportunity of knowing. Are you aware that the Torah actually says don't don't do this? But over here, the, we're going to see there's not so much a mitzvah. Uh, Moore is actually going to say that good husbands don't do this. <laughs> it, it, it comes from jealousy, which is just interesting. Like, is there a mitzvah if the husband suspects? Um, the, the problem here is the husband can say to the wife and have a conversation with her. He doesn't have to threaten her that I'm going to take you to drink and you might blow up. You know, it's, a, it's a whole different level over here to, uh, um, you know, to start that process. So it starts from jealousy, which is not necessarily a good thing. I would say not necessarily. A, it's, it's definitely not a good thing. So that's an interesting point. Okay. So Rebbe Lezer, Omer Mekanu Al Pishnaim. You have to have at least two witnesses that he warned her. Uh, now, then it has to be that she ignores the warning and is in seclusion with this man. So how many witnesses do you need for that? That's called the taking her to drink. Now, by the way, if she wants a divorce... She could just get divorced. The question will really be whether she's entitled to a payout. So if she uh, has a boyfriend and commits adultery or doesn't, or just wants to leave the marriage, she doesn't necessarily get a payout because it doesn't necessarily earn the ksuva. Uh, but uh, therefore, the uh, but if she says she wants to stay married and she says nothing happened, so that's when the drink comes in. So that's the mashka. He takes her for the drink. Al pieda, we one witness. Oh, oh, Al Piazmo. Now, it doesn't even have to be a witness, even if he himself catches her alone with him. Rabbi Yeshua, that's the first opinion. Rabbi Yeshua says, no, Makanullah, he agrees that you have to have two witnesses for the initial warning. And he says it's two and two. And the seclusion also has to be two witnesses. Umashkal Pishnayim. It's a pretty high bar to catch the woman alone, you know, with two, two witnesses. Uh, um, the, the, the first view is that he doesn't even have to have two. It could just be he himself catches her alone with him. And so that's, that's a very low bar to start. The, this, this requires two and two. Uh, how does, uh, what's the terminology that he uses? Kate said, Mikano, four lines from the top. He says in front of two witnesses, He says, don't, don't speak to him. Um, don't, don't, I don't want to see you alone with him. Um, now, it could be that the word daber means don't have words with him. It means don't have more than words. You know, it's, uh, we, we sometimes say things in a nice way, like you don't have to be too graphic. But the dibro, you know, and if she j- ends up just speaking to him, so that doesn't kick in the sota process. Now, there's another part of this. A sota is, is if her husband's a kohen, so she's a kohenis. Uh, well, she's the wife of a kohen. And she's allowed to eat truma. 
and her holiness of eating truma comes through her marriage to a Kohen. Now, if she's a Sota, she started the process of no longer being married to a Kohen, and she couldn't eat truma. In this case, she's allowed to continue uh, to eat truma, because even though she's ignored his warnings, she hasn't triggered the Sota. Let's say she was in seclusion with a strange man. Now, not being in seclusion alone doesn't do the trick. She had long enough to do hanky-panky. We'll have to come up with some... Uh, she was long enough to do the action that would make her forbidden Asur Lebeso. And then she would be forbidden to go back to her house. Uh, she's not allowed to be... Even if the husband says, it's okay, forget it. No, because the suspicion is maybe she did an action that would have made her forbidden. And she has to stop eating truma. What happens... Husband drops dead in the middle of this. It's too much, uh, too exciting or too much, uh, uh, you know. So the, the question is, now the brother uh, steps into this marriage and we don't know if they were really married. Meaning, they were married, but she might have taken action that would make the marriage forbidden. If she lived with another man other than her husband, then the marriage, even though he didn't divorce her yet, for all intents and purposes, is over. So now that the husband died and the brother takes over the husband's marriage uh, and has a mitzvah to take over the marriage, he should not do yibam. He should only do chalitza because uh, this is a marriage that you don't want to... He doesn't want to step into the brother's shoes. So uh, he, he does the marriage with chalitza. Okay, let's see the Gemara. Mikdi, Tana Benazer Selah. The previous Masechta was Nazar. My man Tana Deka Tani Sota. Who's the one... Who's the author? Who's the Tana who explains this? That we learn Sota kid Rebbe. Kid Tanya. Rebbe Omar Rebbe says, Lamanissa Parshas, Nazla Parshas Sota. Why in the Torah do you find these two mitzvahs together? Uh, a Nazar is a very, we had before that a Nazar is like the Kohen Gadol. A Nazar is a person who who's, uh, wants to do something very different and take on uh, special mitzvahs. Uh, he's a very holy thing. Why would that be next to the Sota who like wants to take on special sins? <laughs> it's like the opposite. One person is like extra holy, and one's extra. One wants to stay away from things that are permitted, and one wants to permit things that are forbidden. Why are they connected? Anybody that sees the Sota in her sin, Yazir is going to stay away from the drink. I have a listening Sota, a listening Nazar. So then Sota should be first. So, because it said, if you see the sota, you become a nazar. The Morris says, "I need tanik suvas, tani hamadir." Since we learned suvas, uh, and part of suvas uh, was the question of various vows that were taken and commitments, tani nedarim. So then we got into nedarim. Part of suvas was the husband has certain rights to nullify the wife's vows. So we got into nedarim very quickly after suvas. Suva is what the commitments that a husband makes to the wife before marriage. Uh, we begin the, uh, or the, the marriage with what are the commitments that the husband makes. That's suvas. And part of the commitments, uh, we dealt with the, the concept of vows. And so then we got into Nadorim. Because Nazar is a type of vow. And then once we got into Nazar, so everything kind of fits in the organization. Let's see the Gemara, Hamakana. The language of the Mishnah tells you to begin with, uh, this dealt with our question, is should the husband warn the wife? Should the husband initiate this? So actually the wording implies Hamakana di Evid, if he did it, if you had a jealous husband, then he triggers this kind of process. 
But we're not telling your husband to be jealous. We're not telling him that it's a good idea. Um, some, what are they, there's like a Freudian idea, you know, that it could be that the husband, uh, by warning the wife, he's going to make the wife uh, want a boyfriend or, or not trust the husband or test the husband. It, it's, uh, th- this may not be the best way to save their marriage is that he should say, you know, if I catch you alone with this man, uh, um, uh, it, the language itself implies if it happens. It, it knew that certain husbands would become jealous and certain wives would arouse suspicion and their marriage needs to be built on a certain strength. So there's a mechanism to figure out if anything happened that shouldn't so that they can go back to having a stronger marriage. So, Makana India Evid, if it happened, done. our Mishnah seems to say, we really shouldn't be jealous. He shouldn't... Uh, the husband, to the extent that he can control himself, it's preferred that he doesn't, um, doesn't go that route. Or at least not express it. Yeah. The word usr means forbidden. I don't think this means it's forbidden. It's, it's best not. That's, that's more the expression. Now, the, the, um, one of the things about sota is it allows itself to get into a gadita more than other mesechnas. In fact, the vast majority of what we're going to learn is agadita. Agadita means not the strict halacha part of the of of um, the masechta, but the story part. Why would that be? Um, a lot of uh, sota is about the importance of a strong marriage and the importance of uh, of uh, peace between husband and wife and what what causes breakdowns. And so the the halacha part is actually more the agadita over here. And so that's the important part. Uh, especially today, we don't have Soto. So it's just interesting that we're going to go back and forth into Agadita much, much more. Uh, the whole Nazar almost had almost no Agadita. It was very unusual. And, and it's interesting because the Nazar itself is Agadita. Like the whole, the, the whole thing about being a Nazar and the long hair and, the, and not drinking the wine. Is, uh, but we had almost no stories. Uh, very few. Uh, we had a little bit, but very little. Very, here, it's almost always being in Agadita mode. And Agadita, you learn differently than regular Gemara. Agadita is different than regular Gemara. It's a totally different thing. Um, sometimes Agadita, sometimes it's because there are hidden things in Agadita. And in order to uncover them, um, you have to be like, uh, you have to, that's a whole different body of knowledge to know hidden things. And so often we just learn the simple meaning of the verse, but there's something hidden here. What we can uncover quickly in the, in the 40 minutes of the, of the Gomorrah, you're welcome to throw in, but we often don't have a chance to, even the yeshivas, where they relish the chance to go through things deeply, they, they often skip or they zoom through the agaditas. It's very interesting. No, uh, um, it, sometimes it's because, the, I, I don't know why, it, a, it is a discussion, but, uh, but they often don't learn through these Gomorrahs in depth. Sometimes it's because we really don't have the good answers you know, if you knew definitively what it meant, you could say it. But sometimes it's just a guess. Uh, it's just a guess. That's the definition of what a gadita is, is multi-passion. Could be, could be. Very good, very good. There's an expression by a gadita when there are two opinions that are both true, which is very strange. Usually you have a good argument, somebody's right and somebody's wrong. By a gadita, it's possible that there's truth on multiple levels, which is just... Totally different, like you said, multifaceted. That's a very good way to put it. So now we begin some of that. 
when Reish Lakish would begin teaching Sota, he would give an introduction. And he would say the following. It's very interesting. Reish Lakish got married because he uh, noticed uh, Reb Yochanan was swimming and he thought that he was a very handsome person. He was intrigued by him. And Rabbi Yochanan said, uh, you should meet my sister. <laughs> or it was like, so he had a very unusual marriage uh, story. Every, uh, but at any rate, when he began this um, teaching, he talked about zivug, which the word zivug means like the, the mating of a person, a person's uh, better half. And the question is, how do you get connected to your better half? How does that happen? Uh, here we're talking about people that get connected to a woman that it doesn't work out very good. And, and she doesn't want to be connected to him, right? Or, or so how does that happen? Or what is that? So how does, uh, so first of all, there's a concept that Hashem pairs a husband and wife together. And even as much as, as we're pragmatic people, almost everybody tells you their marriage story, tells you a miracle. Like it didn't have to happen that way, you know, that they met this woman and that they, uh, how they connected, or the person that put them together, or that you couldn't dream up the stuff. How did it happen that the two ended up exactly the way it was? Everybody has a great story, right? So who who pairs them together? So uh, the first uh, he says, "Ain mizavan." A person gets the spouse they deserve, based on their deeds. Hashem doesn't give a tzaddik. A wife that's going to uh, become a sota. It doesn't doesn't uh, must be something in the husband that caused the wife to. Uh, a wife wants to be a good wife. She doesn't want to necessarily uh, uh, do that, and so that's how he began the subject. Rabbi Barchana, by the way, is also one of the famous Agatha people. Uh, that's the if all, all the famous Agatha stories. Many of them are Rabbi Barchana stories. If you remember, he's. He's the one, so that also gives you a... Um, and since we're at Shabbos HaGadol, guess what? Uh, marriage plays into Pesach, into Shabbos HaGadol. That's, uh, that's one of the themes of the Haggadah and of Pesach. There is a dual theme of marriage to a spouse, and, and that is that Hashem is, is the third spouse. Hashem is also part of the combination, and so we got married to Hashem on Pesach. That's, our, that's where we... Uh, connect to Hashem, and we we took you know we started that uh, relationship. So Omer Rav Yochanan Bekasha Lizivugam, he says that uh, the um, you could learn that it means cementing the relationship of husband and wife, or just pairing the two. He said that's as difficult as splitting of the sea. He says that we know one of the biggest miracles, you know, how do you split it? How do you turn the water into a dry land? Like the Jewish people were running away from the Mitzrim and then they came to the water, like, now what? You know, uh, well, nobody said, well, let's split the water and walk right through. <laughs> like that was the most impossible, crazy scenario. Like, and so he's saying that actually taking a husband and wife with their differences and making them into a uh, 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 whole is as difficult as splitting the sea. It takes a lot of miracles and it takes a lot of help to make the two combine. That's a, uh, a Pasuk. Um, that implies the... Uh, there, there's a whole discussion why this is picked. Some people say that Kriyas um, Yamsuf, we weren't sure what to do when we, our backs were to the sea. Should we fight? Should we pray? Should we run away? And then Hashem says uh, something we hadn't even thought of. He splits the sea. 
he says also when a person uh, doesn't, uh, sometimes uh, he's looking for a wife and the, the wife that opens up to him was in a direction that he never imagined. You know, that's the, uh, that's why it's compared to the splitting of the sea. He's saying, should I do this? Should I do that? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes the, uh, that some people say that's the reason. Uh, but the Gemara says it's difficult. There's a difficulty involved in this. So the Gemara says, what do you mean it's difficult? Forty years before a person is born, Baskol, a voice comes out from heaven and says, Bas Ploni Laploni. This is a concept of Beshert. Hashem already tells us who's going to marry who. Bas Ploni Laploni. Sada Ploni Laploni. They don't tell you this part. Uh, it's also Beshert, what, uh, what field you're going to have. Does this mean where you live? Does this mean your Parnassa? I don't know. Uh, they're also, basically everything in life that happens is somewhat preordained. Hashem has a plan for us. So what do you mean it's difficult? So the Gemara says, Lokash, it's not a difficult question. Habazivak Rishon, Habazivak Sheni. It depends on which marriage. Uh, there's a, a marriage that's preordained, and then there's a marriage that's more difficult. That's, uh, that's one. Now, by the way, uh, some people learn that it's not necessarily the first or the second. Sometimes the, the second marriage is the Basharit, and the first marriage is the. Um, let's look at Tosis. This, you can't really, it's not fair, you can't ask me to go into the, what marriage is and what it's all about in Dafyovi or the, but it's like, more, this really is like one of the sources for the discussions on marriage. Um, what person, sometimes a person has a first wife that passes away and they have a second wife and so like, what's the main wife or what's the, what's the difference between, the, it, it's a difficult thing to explain. So let's look at uh, Tosus, uh, that's the third Tosus on the left side. Habaziva Rishna Habazivish Temi. Tos has a question. It says, that you're allowed to get engaged on Khalobod. You're not normally supposed to uh, do things that take away from the holiday. We celebrate the holiday, our relationship with Hashem. We try not to get distracted with other things. Uh, and you know, getting engaged, your mind's on something else. It's uh, so you but you're still allowed to get engaged on Khalobod. Why? Shami Yikadmanu Akhir. Because you get the right wife, you better grab her. You get the right woman, somebody else might grab her. So what's a Gemara saying? That it's Beshert. And the wife that you chose, that's the one you're going to get. It's not true. Somebody else could grab her, and you better hurry up and lock her in, even on Cholomoid, otherwise someone else might get her. So, Kaparuk Mehachar, boy, we said over here, 40 days a person is born. Why don't you just say, I got nothing to worry about? Nobody's going to grab her. Uh, it's preordained. So, uh, So, Tosus doesn't really answer. He says, well, why doesn't the Gemara say over there we're talking about the second wife? The first wife, you don't got to worry about. That one is preordained. It's the second wife that you better hurry up and grab before someone else gets her. Tosus doesn't answer that question. He's, uh, he's wondering, is that a, can you say that? Uh, that's what the... Um, the um, Tosis, the next Tosis has an interesting question. One of the, one of the children is born first, the, the boy or the girl. Usually the boy is a little older than the girl. So if 40 days before, that, uh, uh, the voice comes out and says, uh, your wife is for you. She isn't even born yet. She might not even be conceived yet. So how could it say that? Next Tosis, Kodimitzir, near the rib, Kodimitzir, Sazokor, Benim, Lo, Nolda, Nakeva, Adayin, Benim, Nolda. 
basically we believe like each future soul that's not born yet is like somewhere up in the heaven, up in Shemaim, like in waiting to be born. So even before that person is born, it could be declared that she's going to be for you or you're going to be for her. I believe that's what's bothering the next hostess. The, uh, in other words, how can you say, it's one thing if she's here and you're here and the voice comes out, the two of you, magic. What if you're not even born yet? So I think Tosas is saying that Hashem says somebody's going to have that child that'll be born that's going to be your wife. That's the, that voice comes out. Right? Feinstein talks about what's the use of having a voice if you don't hear the voice. Like, what does it help us that if there's this voice that comes out? Uh, okay, moving along, though. Now we get to the technical part, or otherwise we're going to run out of time. So um, we have two opinions in the Mishnah, and, they, and uh, inevitably it has to do with the psukim in the Torah about whether you need two witnesses for the seclusion or not. So now we're going to jump into the psukim by Sota and try to figure that out. So Rehul said, So this argument about the warning and the seclusion, there seems to be an argument. But what about if somebody says she actually committed adultery? That's a totally different stage, by the way. If the woman actually did it, the whole sota is we don't know if she did it. Uh, it, it could go either way. But if you knew if there's a witness who actually saw it, and we'll see in the Gemara, like, what do they have to see? Like, what's considered, you know, what's considered a tuma? What, what's the, but we'll wait for that. But assuming we, whatever it is that they saw, that they know for a fact, how many witnesses do you need for that? One witness would be enough for that. The Tanan Nami, Omar, Anir Isi Shinitma, if a witness says, I saw that she committed adultery, lo haisa shosa. Uh, she wouldn't drink, mena Torah. The drinking is only when we're not sure. Minalud, where do you know that? Normally, you need two witnesses to change people's lives or to make a big deal. You know, one witness is, is like a maybe. You know, how do you know that over here that one witness is enough to, uh, that, that you can't even do so to the Tanarabana we learn? So this is going to, uh, the question is, when the Torah uses the word testimony, is, is one witness called testimony or not? So it uses the word, it says, ve'ed einba. It says there's no testimony. So this is the problem. Testimony, singular, sometimes means from two witnesses, and sometimes testimony is from one witness. It's not clear. So the first thing the Gemara says, when the verse says there was no witness, that means there's no testimony. Real testimony is only two people. One person, uh, one person could be Meshuggah. Two people, you know, you like to think if you hear it from two, maybe it's correct, right? But one, he got the story wrong, he was hallucinating. So te- typically, testimony is but two. Well, Morris says, how do we know that? Maybe, maybe testimony is even one. Well, who says? It says... Um, one witness uh, uh, does not come, um, uh, it, it says that, that one witness shouldn't stand up against a person, which implied typically testimony has to be two. Because one, it, it's, not, what, it's my word against yours, that's not testimony. Two is already more than one word. So from the fact that it says one is not testimony, implies that real testimony always has to be two. But Mashishin that said, Lo Yakum, is going to explain it. How would I know that it's one? My Why does it say one? Zebona Av. This is kind of a teaching for other places. Call Makum Shinamar Aid Hare Kanshnaim. 
So, Dr. Pellish, I got to warn you that um, some of the dafyomi know what happens. That uh, ideally, we'd love to be here all day, uh, but we uh, have to finish, and that's that's the rule. We are going to finish Mirza Hashem uh, as close as we can. Uh, we try to finish, and we try to let everybody out on time. But in order to do that, the Ahmed Bey's almost always gets cheated. We have to go and we speed up. The second page, the second side. So I, it's almost true of almost every daf I've ever seen that you go into, and it's like not fair, like you're enjoying yourself, it's a good pace, and then zoom. But uh, whatever it is, it is. That, that's our, you have to do it on your own. That's the... Like the younger child. <laughs> uh, right, that's right. So, at any rate, so we're going to speed up because hopefully we'll finish. It doesn't mean we can't take a question, or if I say something wrong, anybody's welcome to correct me. But uh, we're definitely going to have to speed a little bit to finish it in time. Um, I typically don't allow a lot of time on drushas, for good or for bad, because really, each drusha, to understand it well, you could uh, easily would want to spend time on it. And it just... You really can't do dafyomi and like look everything up and see the nuance of the language, and so I, I kind of just read the words and uh, to understand the drasha itself. You really need to to learn the pasuk and and see how Rashi learns over there and Rashi over here. And uh, but that's in general just something that we do. We uh, limited time, and this gemara now is the drasha, so we're going to speed through it. So it says uh, uh, typically when it says eight harikan shnayim, testimony means two. Unless at certain times you only have one witness, and if you don't have two, you only have one. Uh, here's an example. It says, "If the wife who committed adultery wasn't forced, meaning that she willingly had relations with this man, she's forbidden." The reason is the Torah says one witness typically doesn't come against another. If it wouldn't be that way. Hava mina, I would have thought even one witness is enough. Now the Gemara says, well, if you don't have one witness, so why would she be forbidden? So the Gemara said, Itzrik, I'll tell you why. I would have thought, when it says, um, when it says there's no witness, uh, one witness is um, not believed in her, so what does it mean that one witness isn't believed for this, but it's, it implies that something else it is believed? Ella, my ba aid. And what, when, when is there, um, uh, when do you need two witnesses? So the more said, Adi maybe when it says one, it means that one isn't enough until you have two. If that's what the verse means, let it be quiet. Um, and we would learn out from the laws of money. Money, typically, you need two witnesses to um, to take away money from a person. It's not enough if you say, you owe me money. You need really two witnesses. That, that's a, a Maybe this is similar to that, that you need two. And I would say, And this is similar to any other testimony. So why really, the Lord is asking, why, why doesn't this fit into the same patterns as every other type of monetary issue. So Umar said, Itzrik, I'll tell you why. Silk then is Sota Shani. Sota is a little bit different, that you maybe you're not required to have two witnesses because this already is the, um, first of all, the husband got jealous. Then the husband warned her to stay away from the guy. 
then she ignored him and was with the guy. And she was with him for long enough to have done something improper. So already, Ragilin Ledafar, by the time we get a witness that something happened, uh, I mean, what's she doing in a hotel with a husband, somebody who's not her husband, you know, in a room, you know, like it's already Ragilin Ledafar. So like the fact that the witness for the final part doesn't have to be a full testimony because we have so much that happened prior. That's what Yishari Kinalo, because he warned her, Venistera, Lehemneboedachad. I would have thought one witness is enough. Would you say, that she's totally permitted? When it says she wasn't forced, doesn't that imply the Isura that even one witness would make her forbidden? So the Mora answers. <coughs> Oh, Raglayim Adavar, thank you. Uh, I, I'm almost Ragal not to pronounce it Raglayim, okay. It's strict. The Morris says it's needed. Silka ain namun ba adi You need two. Betray nami he the lonis pasasa. And with two also, if she's not forced, kamash malan, that one will do the trick. Rabbi Yeshua, so he disagreed. He said one will not do the trick. You need two for both parts. My time is Yeshua. So how did he learn it? It says for uh, testimony uh, of two is in both parts uh, about her. Uh, so the first view is maybe only in the warning and not in the seclusion. But that first opinion argues on what we just said. But we're quoting Rebbe Lazar who says, the question is, do you need two for both or two just for the warning, just for the not being alone and not for the actual uh, um, uh, the, the warning to be alone and not for the actual being alone? The aim above alobistira. So the Morris says, maybe you only need a warning for the first part and not the second part. We're, again, we're going in the view that you need two for both. So the Morris says, stira ishkis latuma. Now, the being alone that's already, I mean, again, a, a, a woman who's alone in a hotel with somebody other than her husband in a, in a, or a certain type of private place that she went into willingly and she was alone long enough to have done something improper and this person was somebody who her husband said, you know, to stay away from or we're going to have problems in our marriage and the husband even called two witnesses. So I would have compared that being alone to the actual having a witness that she did something. So, again, there, there's three stages here. and There's the warning, there's the seclusion, and then there's actually somebody seeing what happened. You don't always have somebody seeing what happened. So the question is, how many witnesses do you need for all three parts? So we're having consensus that for the warning you need two. That's the key to it. We're having an argument for the seclusion whether you need two, and we're trying to say that the debate about the seclusion, do you compare it to the uh, tuma, the event happening, or do you compare it to the warning? That's really the question. Which way do you go? Um, so Lamora says, well, it compares the, uh, the seclusion to the tuma. So Lamora says, the Torah implies only for part of it do you need to. And how would you know which part doesn't need two witnesses? So the Gemara answers, Mistabra, it's logical, Stira Adifa. The seclusion is stronger 
because that's the point where they can't live together anymore. Once she's been alone, then uh, the husband should not be alone, uh, shouldn't uh, live with her until he finds out what happened. She can't usher us the ketuma, because that's what makes her forbidden, just like she did the act. So the Gemara says, I don't I could argue the other way around. First, why line kina adaf? The problem starts with the warning. She can't ikar garam because um, that's what causes all the trouble was the, if, if she was alone with a man who the husband didn't warn her, she wouldn't be forbidden. And if the husband wants to take her back, he could. So the Gemara said, Well, the Kinoi was only a problem because she was alone with him. So the Gemara says, yeah, but it, the being alone only caused the problem. So Gemara is arguing back and forth. Is it the jealousy that, that causes the problem or the seclusion that causes the problem? Which is the part that you should really need the double witness? If there's only one that needs double witnesses, which is it—the warning or the or the seclusion? What's the part of no return, so to speak? says the seclusion is the worst part. If she's not alone with a foreign man, then nothing happened. I mean, it takes—he can warn her all he wants. If she's never alone with another man, the problem is that she was alone. Uh, but the Mishnah doesn't fit the following opinion. The warning can even be done with one, or maybe or even by himself. But the drink, he has to have two. The Chachamim said, I don't agree with you. That can't be. You're going to make a jealous husband a monster. If the jealous husband can warn her all by himself, um, you're going to create... Uh, there are jealous people in this world. There are people who have those demons. That has the, and if you give a person a tool that he can wreak havoc just by uh, an accusation, who, you know, ain't the dumber soap. There's no end. So it's interesting. Is that a reason that that's, the Torah can't mean that? Or, but that's what he says. My time at Rabbi Yosri, he says... Uh, the two witness, the one witness is for the uh, um, is for the the two witnesses are for the warning and not for the seclusion. Maybe it's for the tuma and not the, uh, the and not the warning. So Gemara says, well, maybe it's for the tuma and not for the warning. How do we know which one doesn't need the two? So Gemara says, ishkus the tuma. The warning is compared to the tuma. Again, there's three stages: the warning, the actual act. And the seclusion, the warning is compared to the act. It says the pasuk almost it skips the being alone. It says he warned her and, and she did it. Um, I assume that she was alone when she did it, but it doesn't mention like she obviously didn't do this on purpose in front of people. That would not have been, um, you know, it's not normal for that to happen like you know, that. You she can be alone with somebody, but for, for reasons. No, the whatever action did not did not happen, but it doesn't mean for the next opportunity would not arise. So this is this is the person who are looking for that experience, then right. the next time is going to work. You know, this time yeah. this work, this time the next time it works. Right. So you're saying that being alone doesn't um, might lead to the next time, but it it of itself isn't the trigger. Yeah. So you know, just you know, like dealing with a man who has like sexual dysfunction, yeah. you know, where something right. didn't work for the for mm-hmm. the partner, you know. Mm-hmm. And, Right, right, yeah. So that, that's what the Gemara wants to say, that the seclusion isn't the main thing, because it's not compared to the actual act. And the seclusion itself is somewhat innocent. But the Gemara says, it compares the seclusion, there's intimacy in being alone. Ishtu the tumma, the nitma. 
So, so the, the Gemara is questioning from the verses itself. Again, we have these three parts. And then you have the word bo, which implies one of the parts doesn't need two witnesses. And how do we know which one it should be of these three parts? So the Gemara says, Don't, doesn't everybody agree you have these common comparisons? It says the reason why it says Tuma is the Kamashir stira. How long did they have to be alone? They have to be alone as long as it would take for them to have done a forbidden thing. So we said, uh, What does it mean that there's no end? Uh, because sometimes he really didn't warn her and he'll say you warned her. You know why? It's one thing for him to say, to lie about other things. But for him to imagine that he warned her when he really didn't, people make up that stuff. There's certain lies that are easier. And so even assuming that he's not, the average person doesn't lie, if you allow him to start the process by saying, I warned you, you never warned me. He said, but I told you to stay away from him. But that didn't mean anything. So uh, that's what he, uh, uh, we will stop here. Uh, okay, we'll have to finish on Shabbos. That's fine. Uh, this week, it's, we'll have to do 